Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Are you familiar with the phrase, moving the goalposts? This idea of once one thing's been achieved, you sort of change the definition of success and start talking about something different. There may be an example of us doing that with Georgia here in 2024. For a long time, the big question facing Georgia was, especially early days of Kirby Smart, you know, this program was obviously sort of a stellar level of play defensively, but could it match that offensively? Could this be a good, explosive offense? That was a question that was asked of Georgia for quite some time. And eventually that question was answered, I would say, emphatically. In 2021 and 2022, national championship seasons, offense played a big role in the overall success story for Georgia in that particular season. And in 2023, Georgia kind of continued that, similar level of play you can make a case you may be surprised to hear this but the stats sort of bear this out you can make a case that over the course of the last three seasons no program has been more consistent offensively than what Georgia has been and it really kind of makes it seem somewhat silly that at one point in time we ever wondered if Georgia was capable of doing this the last three years with two different offensive coordinators Georgia has certainly demonstrated its capabilities as far as all of this is concerned. But to go back to the notion of moving goalposts, now the question as you move towards 2024 is something a, a little bit different. The question is no longer, can Georgia produce explosive offenses? Well, we've seen the answer to that question is obviously yes. The new question, the next question is, can Georgia produce an explosive offense without Brock Bowers? And we would say, given the just the sheer magnitude of Brock Bauer's career, this is certainly probably a fair question to ask. Go back and look. In 2021, in Bauer's first year to Georgia uniform, he set the record for the most receiving touchdowns for any player in program history. In 2022, he had the fifth most receiving yards of any player in program history and the most for any Georgia pass catcher over the course of a decade span. You had to go back to 2012 to find someone who had more receiving yards than Bowers had in 2022. This past season in 2023, Brock Bowers was Georgia's leading receiver despite the fact that he only played in 10 of Georgia's 14 games. So this notion of what can Georgia be offensively without Brock Bowers seems like a real question and a real discussion point. And we're going to get to this in a moment with day two of our Dog Nation roundtable. We started this yesterday uh, as a part of some shows that I've been forced to pre-record this week, and I thought that Jeff Sintel, Connor Riley, uh, Mike Griffith really brought their A games in the discussions we were having yesterday. And in a moment when we introduce these guys back to the program, this is the place we're starting the conversation. Who is that new top playmaker for Georgia now that Brock Bowers isn't here anymore? And obviously this goes beyond just What's next for Georgia tight end? You like, I think, what Georgia has there. Oscar Delp, now a veteran player, big expectations for him, and probably rightly so. Ben Urasek brought in as a transfer from Stanford, a guy who's been an all-Pac-12 player kind of a couple of times. Once again, you like him too. But the tandem of Urasek, Delp alone, along with guys like Lawson, Lucky, and others, that's just not quite enough. You can't say, well, just tight ends alone, that's your way of replacing Brock Bowers. That misunderstands how valuable Bowers has been to the Georgia program. He obviously transcended the tight end position. In a lot of ways, he redefined it, but in other ways, 
it's almost like he didn't really wear a position label while playing for Georgia. He was just simply the best player who was out there anytime he was out there. And the productivity he was responsible for has to be replaced. Some of that will come from tight ends, of course. It's also perhaps a situation where a guy like Dylan Bell is ready to take the next step. That's a guy who I think generated a lot of excitement with the promise that he showed in the late stages of last season. Transfers coming in, like Trevor Etienne at running back and the collection of wide receivers that Georgia have brought in. All of those guys will have a chance to replace this too. It could be a situation where no one player has the ability to completely replace what Brock Bowers sort of brought to the forefront, but if Georgia is going to continue to be as explosive offensively in the future as it was when Bowers played here in the past, then somehow replicating the stats that Bowers was, was responsible for putting up, that is a part of what George is going to have to do. And how will UGA do that? Today is a part of our Dog Nation roundtable here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pest Management. We will discuss exactly how Georgia gets that done. And before we do that, let me also give you – a quick shout-out and a thank you to our friends at Breda Pest Manager who make this show possible for you here today, the official pest control provider of UG Athletics. Now, I'm not here live. I am not working today, uh, at least as you hear this, but just know the folks from Breda Pest Manager are out there in the market area taking care of business just like they do each and every day and providing you and all of their clients the same level of service to your home that they provide to all those athletic venues run that University of Georgia campus as the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. That means Sanford Stadium kept bug, critter-free, termite-free because of Breda Pest Manager. The same thing for Foley Field as they're getting going for the Diamond Dog season and all the other venues around campus here. Breda Pest Manager is covering them all. And they want to cover your property there as well, whether it's a commercial property or a home that you live in or anything else. And they want to do so by also kind of providing you something that right now Probably means as much as anything possibly could. The chance to put more money back in your pocket. Seems like these days everything is going up. Perhaps the cost of service for your termite protection is going up there as well. You get that dreaded letter in the mail. With our friends at Breda Pest Manager, that's not what's going to happen. They're going to provide you a stellar level of service at a cost that's going to save you money compared to the company you have been working with. That's why you want to make the switch today. Reach out and find out everything you need to know about Breda Pest Manager, a company that's been in business since 1975. You're talking about multi-generations of family-oriented service for people just like you. 125 employees stretched all across our market area. That is what Breda Pest Management is all about, the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. You can find them online, BredaPest.com. I'm going to spell this for you because if you're like me, sometimes you sort of need it spelled out for you. B-R-E-D-A. That's BredaPest.com, B-R-E-D-A, the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. So now, for more on Brock Bowers no longer here, the top playmaker, not just of Georgia in the Kirby Smart era, but one of the top playmakers in the history of the program. How does Georgia replace him? And a whole lot of other fun discussions to be had there as well. Let's do day two of our Dog Nation roundtable here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Manager today. And here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Manage, what a thrill it is to come back and do day two of our Dog Nation roundtable. I love this yesterday. I love it because it's one of the rare chances we get to get everybody here together, and it's also uh, an opportunity to do something on Dog Nation Daily a little bit different than we sometimes do while I'm away from work. Our Dog Nation team here, at least the ones you hear most frequently on Dog Nation Daily, kind enough to be a part of this. So a brand new slate of topics. I sort of feel like 
the McLaughlin Group or like one of those old school like public television type shows or whatever else. Issue one or something along those lines. Either way, we're going to have a good time here. And yesterday, one of the things we got into was Carson Beck, his outlook for the upcoming season. And one of the issues that came up related to Beck is how about the cast of characters around him and what they can do to help you know, propel Carson Beck to the to the great season that he could have. I think there's an inverse to that, too, of what Beck can do to propel others. And I guess with that in mind, when you look around to the playmakers around Carson Beck here this year, the one guy you specifically don't see is Brock Bowers. Bowers, the most prolific playmaker, arguably on the very short list in Georgia history, certainly in the Kirby Smart era, and he now needs to be replaced. I don't know that anyone can fully replace what Brock Bowers brought to the table, but who comes close? Uh, or who should, I should say, who could come the closest? So, Jeff Sintel, I'll come to you to begin this here today. When you look at the need to replace Brock Bowers as Georgia's top playmaker, who do you think gets first crack to be Georgia's top playmaker at any offensive position uh, for this upcoming season? Offensive positions, I'm going to go across the board. I know Mike and Connor are already jockeying with their normals or whatever. I'm going electricity. And I'm going, Georgia has paid its NIL power bill here. I'm going Trevor Etienne. Now, you look at his um, stats from a year ago. I find it curious that he only started one game at Florida. But then you saw he had almost six yards per carry. The 19-year-old is going to be behind the greatest offensive line he's ever seen. Instead of making a guy miss at the line of scrimmage, he's going to have two or three yards. Uh, He's going to have a quarterback. He's going to have weapons. He's going to have tight ends. He's going to have Mike Bobo around him. I think he's not only he's going to be a playmaker, but he's going to be exciting, electrifying. I like the what the dynamic ways that Trevor Etienne, let's forget, let's not forget, he's a great weapon in the passing game as well. Kind of what Georgia was missing in years past when they had a, a guy like Kenny McIntosh or a guy like James Cook. Give me all the Trevor Etienne you possibly can here for this question. Uh, Mike, you agree with Jeff on that about Etienne or do you have a different name in mind? Well, yeah, that's where I was starting. You know, I thought Georgia was missing that safety valve back that could take a quick pass and take it 50-60. That's kind of what Brock Bowers did. Uh, You know, I I liked Dylan Bell as a dual threat in the backfield. He he seems determined that he's a receiver. Um, Good, you know, hope hope that works out for him. Uh, I do think he's a nice playmaker, but I don't know that I think he's a a first rounder. I, I'm going to go off the board because I think Connor's going to go with Dylan Bell, and, and I'll give you a different name. The name that I was excited about last year never really came to fruition. He was the talk of last spring, uh, and that was Lawson Lucky. I, I heard so much about Lawson Lucky and spring drills that I really thought he was going to be an impact player, even better than Oscar Delp last season, uh, which was no knock on Delp. I mean, there was just that much of a a buzz about loss and lucky in the impact that he had had and his ability to step up. So uh, I know that's probably uh, not fitting in the box. Uh, you know, probably you wouldn't think this is a, a 50 catch guy or anything like that. But when you ask me who I'm excited about, not who I think will be the most impactful, I want to see this guy come to fruition. Uh, as I understand it, the, the ankle injury really, you know, the tight rope didn't, he just, he wasn't the same. He lost confidence. Uh, But guys like this typically come back around. And so uh, I'm excited to see what Lawson Lucky can do and what component he can bring to the offense. Because I think he was more thought of like Brock Bowers than Delp was going into last fall. Oscar got much better and certainly a future NFL guy and probably will have another great year. But I think Lawson Lucky might be a card up Kirby Smart's sleeve. 
Uh, Connor, before you give me your answer, I want you to respond to something else that came up a moment ago about Trevor Etienne. I think it's really tempting to want to say Etienne because he has been described as having the kind of sort of additional speed that maybe Georgia hasn't always had from its running back room. But his numbers at Florida weren't really eye-popping. Maybe some of that was because of a not-great offensive line or how he was used or the fact that just Florida wasn't a very good team overall. So do you see the kind of like stat line history from him at Florida that really suggests that he could be the sort of breakout player at Georgia that a lot of folks want him to be? Yeah, it's interesting because I think the way that he was used at Florida, you know, if everything were perfect, might be how he's used at Georgia. Uh, Kirby Smart likes to balance things in the running back room. Uh, The uh, 20 season is the only time since he's become the head coach that they haven't had multiple 100 yard rush or multiple 100 carry rushers. And, And so. I, I don't think that they want to lean too much on just one running back there. So I, I'm going to be interested in seeing maybe who that second running back is and how long it takes them to find that player. You know, Nate Frazier is someone who's coming in this summer that I think is going to be an obviously interesting player to watch. I would point out that BA, and I'm not surprised here because you are as an established Brock Bowers uh, hater, you didn't give him his proper due as I believe he is the greatest player in Georgia football history when you look at his career accolades. I I think if I'm going to go for a guy that can replace him, I'm looking at versatility. I'm looking at a guy who can do a lot of different things. And for that reason, I'm going to take Dylan Bell. I think he's developed a strong connection with Carson. You saw that in the bowl game, four catches for 86 yards in that first half there. Uh, I think you look at what he did in the game against Tennessee with his ability to make plays out of both the backfield and as a wide receiver there. And, And, you know, at that wide receiver position, you know, you bring back Dominic Lovett, you bring back Ra Ra Thomas, you bring in three transfers there as well. I know Anthony Evans is a guy that I think is excited a lot of people. I think Dylan Bell has both the still upside to continue to prove, improve as a wide receiver, especially as I think he's going to play that position more this year than he did having to fill in at running back last season for Georgia, while also having some big plays and some big moments. You think to that Tennessee game in particular – that that's going to allow him to continue to grow and I think develop as the go-to option in this offense. Yeah, Jeff, let me give you the final word on this topic because I do think if some if you're saying top playmakers, you know, so-called replacement for Brock Bowers, this is a person who's supposed to be a great player. And I do believe if anybody from Georgia and its offense kind of graduates from the way we think of them now to that sort of oh wow category, I do believe that Bell is based on the promise that he showed in 2023, he may be the best available option to really kind of leap forward in his in his in our overall perception of him. Do you agree with that? I think leap forward. I think Dylan Bell was emerging late last year and maybe in the absence of Brock Bowers where you saw a little bit of a little bit of a sneak preview. I think about ETN and I also think about another running back that I think it's on us to do our due diligence and mention is there's a lot of buzz right now about Roderick Robinson. There's a lot of buzz about how he's looked in the offseason, 240 pounds, really fast, really hard to get on the ground. Connor was mentioning them likely number two. I will go back to ETN, and there's one point that stood out for me. If you look at how Florida used him, he only got like 11 carries, 12 carries in most of his games, which in some ways would mirror the usage he would get at Georgia. But then Florida needed a win, and they played Tennessee last year. They gave him 23 carries, and I think he ended up with 175 yards and like multiple touchdowns. So I think you got a glimpse of what ETN can do, and I think that's the guy where I think running the ball, 
red zone. Remember, Georgia's running backs on the average now are getting multiple 10 touchdown care, 10 touchdown guys. I think ETN, red zone weapon, ETN, weapon out of the backfield on third down. That's why I come back to him. I, I do like Dylan Bell. I think Dylan Bell might be the odds-on guy to be the number one receiver, especially with an emergence even of a rah-rah Thomas coming along. But I still like that pick of ETN because that's what you brought him in to do. He's got the pedigree with his brother. He's the type of guy that can make Carson Beck look very comfortable. New topic, Mike Griffith, when you look at the freshman for Georgia for this upcoming season, who's the guy that you anticipate seeing most of all and who's the guy that you think could perhaps make the biggest impact of the first-year players here at UGA? Well, now you changed the question. You asked me who I was the most excited about before the show. Well, let's say let's stay with excited. Excited is the word. Who is the freshman you're most excited okay, about? Okay, well, so? if we're going who I want to see. It's KJ Bolden. I want to see this cat on the field. Uh, to me, he was the best player at at Buford all along. Even when everybody thought Rayola was coming, this was the guy that I thought really fit the Georgia culture. This was the guy that I thought could really be an impact player. I don't know if he's going to return kicks. I don't know how much he's going to play, but I'm excited to see this guy because of what he did last year at Buford and the kind of playmaker that he is. Uh, I thought this was a really big get for Georgia. I think these are the kind of kids that, that can get on the field immediately. I wonder if he can have a Malachi Starks impact while playing next to Malachi Starks. I wonder if he can get on the field next to Malachi Starks. Uh, Georgia did lose three defensive backs, including the star position that will be vacated. I'm not sure where K.J. Bolden fits in, but he strikes me as the kind of guy that can find his way on the field. And I'm, I'm excited to see him because this was such a, a big recruiting steal. I, I'm not a guy that typically – follows recruiting breathlessly outside of, you know, reading, you know, Jeff Sentow's, you know, stories and backgrounds on these players that are always so entertaining and deep right down to their favorite square dance move. But KJ Bolden is a guy that I cannot wait to see in a Georgia uniform and see what he does under Kirby Smart's leadership. Uh, Connor, how about for you, the freshman that you think uh, you're most excited about saying? Well, I think Joseph Jonah Ajanye is someone that jumps to mind here, given what Georgia needs on the defensive line. I would also maybe throw Nasir Johnson in there had he been a guy that enrolled early. But I'm going to say Ellis Robinson. Uh, for as much as Mike just talked up, K.J. Bolden, Georgia has never had a defensive back prospect like Ellis Robinson. And for him to come in, he's got a chance, I think, to come in and compete for playing time at that cornerback position. Uh, he is as developed, I think, as anyone has been. And you look at what he was able to do in the Under Armour All-American Bowl practices, going up against, up against guys like Cam Coleman and, and highly respected wide receivers, and not only just holding his own, but really, I think, playing well in those circumstances. He was really sort of the only cornerback that had success against Jeremiah Smith, the number one overall recruit in the country this year. You know, we're going to see how quickly he's able to push for playing time. I know they like Julian Humphrey in that room. I know they like Daniel Harris there. But in Ellis Robinson, you know, for a Georgia program that has recruited as well as anyone of late, he really seems like a one of one type prospect. And so to bring him in and see what you can get out of him, I don't know how much he's going to play right away as a freshman. But from all that I've heard and all that I've read and seen, this is a guy that is a true, unique prospect that Georgia does not land every year. Yeah, he ends up being one of the highest-rated individual players that Georgia's ever signed. And I can't help but think about, even though, as Connor said, you don't know how much he plays as a freshman, like the impact that Derek Stingley made on LSU in 2019 as a freshman cornerback. You sort of wonder 
Is there a chance that Ellis Robinson can be that kind of player? You know, for Georgia, maybe Georgia doesn't need that as much as LSU needed Stingley in 2019, but you can't help but make the comparison at least a little bit. Uh, Jeff, you know all these players so well. Who would be your answer as far as, like, the freshman that all Georgia fans should maybe be the most excited about seeing? You guys remember that scene in Old School where uh, James Carville hears a zoned-in answer from Will Ferrell, and he goes, that's right, that's perfect, I have nothing else to add. <laughs> That that would probably be what Connor said about Ellis. You're right, Brandon. Number two overall, highest rated signee Georgia has ever had. He's the type, when we say this, players don't start at Georgia. Freshman players don't start at Georgia. Well, players like Ellis Robinson, the fourth, do start at some point of their freshman year of high school, uh, freshman year of, of college football. The one name I will add, and I think it's a player that, you know, and most would expect me to say Nate Frazier here because I think he's going to be fantastic. Um, the name I will add is a young man that I think once Dog Nation hears his kind of full story, they're going to get really behind him. I think he can do like Lad McConkey things in year one. And that's Sokovi White. Uh, I think Sokovi's favorite square dance move, Mike, is a touchdown. That's how prolific he is in space. He's came from so much. He's going to be a fan favorite. And he was nowhere rated near the five-star land at all. But I think Sokovi's a guy at a position where Georgia's going to need somebody like that to make a guy miss in space, show a lot of wiggle, show a lot of juice. Sokovi is very strong, very tough. He's going to have no problem blocking to get the rock. So while Connor did put the bullseye in the answer there with barbecue sauce there for Ellis Robinson the fourth, honorable mention here also has to go to Sokovi White. Topic number three, I think there's a lot of excitement of the 2024 season for a lot of reasons. One of those is the schedule that Georgia's playing. Now, it's tough, not easy to win these games. We'll talk more about that on tomorrow's show, but it's also exciting when you think about neutral site against Clemson, historic rivalry being renewed. When you think about a road game to Alabama, the first time that Georgia will play Alabama in kind of a full set stadium, normal circumstance situation since Kirby Smart has been Georgia head coach, which is somewhat interesting. Uh, obviously, what's incredibly interesting is the trip to Austin, Texas, as Texas has its first year in the SEC. Ole Miss getting a lot of attention there as well. So with all the discussion about who Georgia's playing and the attention around those particular teams, what is the biggest game for Georgia here in this 2024 season? Connor, what would your answer be to that? Uh, my answer is Alabama. I know a lot of people are going to look at Texas. I know a lot of people are going to talk about that Florida game and being a lousy, stinking uh, Gator hater. Ah. I think it's a game that you just point blank, you have to win. Uh, if you lose that game, it becomes a very clear Alabama problem and not necessarily a Nick Saban problem. And if you're able to win that game, I think you're able to write off some of the issues that Georgia has had when playing Alabama onto the fact that they were just going up against Nick Saban, who is the most accomplished and best college football coach of all time. And so I think if you're able to win that game, not only does it answer a lot of the questions that you might have about Kirby Smart against Alabama, I think it also makes things more difficult to Kalen DeBoer. Uh, Alabama brought Kalen DeBoer in because of his what he is able to do in terms of on-day game day management. And they're going to try and play catch up when it comes to the recruiting and the aspects of roster management. And so if you're able to allow Alabama to get some early success there and wins on the field, I think that's going to make it easier to get them back up into that national title or title contender on an annual basis. Conversely, if you're able to keep them down and keep your foot on their throat, I think that's going to benefit Georgia moving forward. So I know Texas is going to be a popular answer. I know Florida Ole Miss is going to be a tricky spot coming the week after Florida there. 
but give me Alabama on September 28th under the lights, ABC prime time in Bryant Denny stadium. I think that's a game that Georgia very clearly in my mind has to win. I think that's a pretty compelling argument for sure. Mike, do you agree with that? Is Alabama the biggest game for Georgia this upcoming season? Well, as Kirby smart says, they're not practicing to win one game. They're practicing to win all of them. And to me, the biggest game is always the next game. I'm going to go with Clemson. I think that's a dangerous game. I think Clemson finished last year winning five games in a row. Uh, they returned their quarterback. It's it's kind of Dabo's last stand. Uh, you know, Dabo Sweeney's tried to turn that program around. If Georgia loses that Clemson game, there's really not much margin for error the rest of the year. I go back to 2021. Um, you know, if Georgia loses that game to Clemson in the opener of 2021, there is no second chance against Alabama. There is no first national title, and so there is no second national title. And so um, while I think that the Alabama game is is important, um, I have so little respect for Kalen DeBoer that I don't think that game is going to be close. I think uh, Georgia will win that game by two touchdowns or more in Tuscaloosa. Uh, Texas is too far off. Um, I do think that's important, but I think Georgia could lose that game and still make the playoff. I think they have to beat Clemson, though. I think that's a really important uh, season uh, lid lifter opening game in Atlanta, back in that building. The last time they were there, um, you know, they they lost to Alabama in very disappointing fashion. So while I think that, uh, you know, Texas and Alabama are games that I've got five stars next to that can't wait to see. And when they get here, they'll be big. I'm going to go with the next game is always the biggest game. And so for right now, as we sit here on February 13th, uh, I've got Clemson circled. I'm not overlooking Dabo Sweeney and the Tigers. Interesting alteration of perception when it comes to these two teams. When Georgia, as Mike mentioned, played Clemson in a close game in 2021, Tigers actually came in that day as a small favorite. That's been completely flipped for the game in Atlanta to begin this season. Georgia looks to be right now a two-touchdown favorite on paper against the Clemson Tigers. So a lot to think about. And Jeff, as Mike also pointed out, because of the schedules that almost all of the top SEC and Big Ten teams are playing, and because the playoff has expanded, there is a little bit more margin for error. They may not be any single one must-win game this year, so perhaps that changes the perception of what's big and what's not at least a little bit. But from your mindset, Jeff, what is the biggest game that Georgia will play here this year? Yeah, guys, it's interesting. Very compelling views. It's kind of like listening to Supreme Court justices in chambers here where somebody's adding something to the argument here every time. Um, and folks, I, I guess I got to say this. Georgia hadn't lost a regular season game since 2020, if I'm correct. Um, I almost look at that SEC championship game as a scheduled game because Georgia always gets into that thing. Um, I don't see Clemson and the fighting Dabos coming off a four-loss season. Uh, threatening Georgia, although it really aligns with the most important game, next game, coaching, toe the line uh, mentality and metaphor. I think it is Texas, and it's not just for the sake of variance. I think Georgia needs confidence, and I think if Georgia loses to Texas, then it has a confidence problem, and it has a con and then it would have a confidence problem going into Tuscaloosa as well. And I know it feels weird saying this about a program that hasn't lost a regular season game since 2020 but i think you lose that texas game and i could make a point about how it will be the college game day game and it will be everybody there and people will try to hype it up it's the biggest georgia off georgia road trip since notre dame and south bend in 2019 uh 
I think you got to win that game because you got to establish establish dominance, and you can't go into Tuscaloosa wobbly. I loved all of, I loved all of Connor's points because you want to step on the neck of, of Alabama and you want to break them. You want to break them on the recruiting trail. You want to signal that it was. Nick Saban problem. It wasn't an Alabama problem. And that Kirby Smart is the new Nick Saban. All those points resonate. They all make sense. But I think if you go one and one in in out between Alabama and Texas, then I think you also have a problem there as well. Yeah, Connor, let me give you the last word here because I do think the argument you make for Alabama being the the biggest game for Georgia is pretty compelling. In fact, so much so I'm mostly going to ignore it and uh, make my case for Texas here from the standpoint that you know, Texas wasn't the playoff. They're the other team in the SEC at FanDuel right now that has a 10.5, you know, over-under total to match Georgia. You know, you know, Alabama loses Nick Saban, but Texas keeps its coach. It's the only playoff team from a year ago that did keep its coach. It also returns its starting quarterback. You know, Texas believes it's supposed to be the superior supreme program and whatever conference it's in, that's the SEC included. I think Georgia's got a responsibility to sort of show them that's not true when they go there in October. I understand all of what Georgia would gain to lose if it were to lose to Alabama, and I agree with you. But how about the idea that when you look at the battle of the two quarterbacks, when you look at the the battle of the two programs in the league with the highest expectations, the sheer magnitude of the Texas game is just larger. Yeah, are we sure that game is going to have the magnitude we think it is right now? Because I think one thing, as Jeff lays out there, as you lay out and all the past success, look – Texas isn't playing TCUs and Baylors and Kansases of the world on a week-to-week basis anymore. They're playing a more difficult schedule. And while I do think and believe that they absolutely got some favors done for them with this opening schedule in the 2024 season, in my opinion, and look, I'm not the SEC homer that you are, it's a tougher schedule to do it on a week-by-week basis in the SEC than it is in the Big 12. And so I do wonder – is Texas going to have its chin strap buckled every single week this season? Because not only is it, you know, a new life in the SEC and a, a more difficult schedule, I think these teams that are going against Texas know that they've got a chance to go in and make a statement because Texas, they think they're Texas, horns up, and, you know, they get mad at you if you do this. So uh-huh. I think that they're going to have a, a target on their back in this first season, and I don't know how they're going to handle and react to that. Uh, and you know, while yes, they made the college football playoff a season ago and they got a big win over Alabama. In my opinion, they took their eye off the ball in some games last year. The Houston game comes to mind against a team that wasn't very good. That was a one score game, Kansas state. I know they dominated that game on the box score, but they nearly found a way to lose that game there that day. They're going to have to have their chin strap, chin strap buckled every single week. And until I see that, I'm going to be skeptical that they're going to be this top four team and that that game in the middle of the season, October 19th, might be all that it is cracked up to be. We'll look at some of the rest of the SEC teams here in a moment. Let me remind you before that, we'll kind of call this cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. We'll remind you that these kinds of conversations, you can have those on board the Dog Nation cruise with us coming up in April. We're leaving out of Port Canaveral. We're going to NASA on the Bahamas. We're going to Perfect Day Coco Cay. We'll be on board Allure of the Seas. And it's just going to be the biggest and best version ever of our Dog Nation cruise because of the fact we do get a chance to be on one of those Oasis-class ships, much the same way that Icon of the Seas, the ship I was just on, has the neighborhoods and all the unique experiences, specialty restaurants, bars and lounges, entertainment options, kind of you would expect on a ship that size, the Oasis-class ships, including Allure of the Seas, they are very much the same way. And right now, Jessica Slater wants to help you get that done. You can give her a call, 770-718-9147, 770 
1-800-787-1847. Email her, jslater at dreamvacations.com, and you can be a part of the Dog Nation cruise coming up in April. We hope to see you there. And as we keep cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean going here, we'll also continue a little bit of a theme we started yesterday at the conclusion of our roundtable. That is FanDuel over-unders for the upcoming season. A little bit of an early lean, not necessarily – uh, the kind of thing you have to stick with for the rest of the year, but looking at three more teams today and perhaps a little bit of a surprisingly high total, at least based on you know typical expectations, and that's Missouri sitting right now at nine and a half. Jeff, if I were to come to you there on that early lane, Missouri, one of the higher totals in the league this year at nine and a half. What do you think about the Tigers to that number? I'd go over. I like the Tigers. They've got a Heisman contender on some lists already in Brady Cook. And you look at the schedule, they don't catch a lot of heavyweights. They don't catch all the heavyweights. They don't catch a lot of them. I looked at that. I remember looking back at Missouri's schedule like in last November, and folks that were around that program were telling me about it. And they're like, hey, man, I really think I really think Mizzou can win 10 or 11 games in the regular season next year. How long of a Heisman list do you have to have for Brady Cook's name to show up on it? I think he's probably number 18 on there. But um, if, if we're Eli Drinkowicz is doing that list, he's probably around three or four because that guy lo- loves his guys. It is true, though, Mike, that one of the things about the Missouri schedule for the first time since Missouri's been in the SEC, they will avoid Georgia this year. So that's one of the reasons why they've kind of perhaps loaded up in the transfer portal and trying to build off what was a top 10 season a year ago. Had there been a 12-team playoff a year ago, Missouri would have been in it. They feel like they can be in it here this year. Over, under, 9.5 for Missouri in your mind. I'm going to take the under. Uh, you know, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a believer. I'm not a, a buyer of Eli Drinkowitz. Uh, I think they had a good season last year, but that running back was, he was a lot of it. He was unbelievable. He carried a lot of the Missouri success. Some programs are built to sustain, others aren't. I am not bought into Missouri. Um, I'm not from the show me state, but they have to show me before I go over. I'm taking the under. Connor, how about for you? Early lean, Missouri over under nine and a half. Yeah, I like the over here. Jeff Jeff mentioned the wrong Heisman Trophy candidate in my mind. I actually think it's Luther Burden with what he's able to do. And I think Eli Drinkwitz has a little bit of Steve Spurrier in him and the way he talks and treats to people. And I think it's entertaining. And I think he's got a good team that's continued to build. And the schedule, I think, is the big thing here. You know, they avoid Georgia. They avoid Texas. I think it's a very manageable schedule this year for the Tigers. And if you can get to 10-2 and – I think they're going to be in the college football playoff, even if they don't make it to the SEC championship game. I like Drinkwitz as a coach. I I do think that what Missouri did in 2023 was legitimately impressive. This was a good team. Played Georgia relatively close, won the bowl game. This was a good team. I also think they absolutely ought to begin this season as one of the playoff contenders. I think all that's a very real and legitimate conversation. But as Mike sort of alluded to, I think taking the next step as a program, that next step is just such a doozy that I would probably lean under here, mostly on the basis of, boy, really hard to to kind of take that next step as a program. It's not necessarily in kind of, you know, sort of slide against Missouri, who I do think they've been, you know, pretty impressive the last couple of years, but it's certainly one of the higher totals in the SEC sitting there at nine and a half. The next team we'll mention is Oklahoma in their first year in the SEC, relatively low total for the Sooners. It is just seven and a half right now. Jeff, how about an early lean for first-year Oklahoma on their way to the SEC? Yeah, I, th- I think they're going to be a lot of first-year blues right there, but I also think this number is right where it needs to be. I'm going to go over because I think they're going to get 
um, one of the teams in the back half of their schedule that I expect to be beat up. I also look for Jackson Arnold, pretty good quarterback, five-star quarterback, a couple of years prior. He's been marinating a while. I'd look for him to try and help that Oklahoma offense as well sometime during the following season. Uh, Mike, how about for you? Early lean, Oklahoma, seven and a half. Yeah, I'm going to take the over. I'm going to take a win over Temple, a win over Houston, a win over Tulane, three, a win over Tennessee at home or at Auburn. They're going to split. That's four. A win over South Carolina at home is five. A win over Maine is six. And then they've either got to win at Old Miss or at Missouri to make seven. So give me the over. Uh, Connor, how about for you? The number seven and a half for Oklahoma. You have an early lean on the Sooners? I'm going to take the under here. I like Jackson Arnold, even though he didn't look great against Arizona. Uh, it's an Oklahoma team that I think the record was better than what they were last season. And similar to the point I made about Texas, I think you're going to have a lot of teams amped up to go in and try and take them down. I think that South Carolina game is going to be very tricky. So I'm very interested in seeing how Oklahoma responds to this. And so I'm going to take the under here. Wouldn't surprise me if he ends up going over there. Uh, Connor, would you be surprised to know that I have Oklahoma on my list of the most likely surprise team in the SEC? I actually really like the over here in this spot, and it sounds like I like Jackson Arnold a little bit more than both you and Jeff do. You know, Jeff talks about the possibility of making an impact during the season. I actually think that Arnold will be the guy for Oklahoma and one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC overall. I don't have him as like a playoff contender or anything like that, but I believe the SEC team right now we are talking the least about that we should be talking more about. I do think it's Oklahoma. I think that Brent Venables took a big step in year two compared to where he was in year one, where you really kind of wondered if he might be just sort of dead on arrival. I think year two, that organization looked a lot more buttoned up. I, I think that Oklahoma is far better than seven and a half. Does that take surprise you? No, I think, you know, they brought back some key players. Uh, Danny Stuntman, I believe, their inside linebacker. Billy Bowman in the secondary. Uh, they've done a very good job in the transfer portal and recruited pretty well as well here. So I wouldn't be shocked if I'm wrong in Oklahoma. I think like you, I like Jackson Arnold a lot and his upside. I just, I wonder again, you know, with the uptick in competition where last year, other than the Texas game, Oklahoma's better than every team they step on the field with from a talent standpoint right away. That's not going to be the case this year. And so I think those Ole Miss, those Missouri games, those are going to be significantly tougher than what Oklahoma is used to seeing on a year-in, year-out basis there. So I think it's that issue, along with the fact you do draw Alabama, you have Tennessee, as Mike points out, you have Texas. I think those are five very losable games right there. And so you're asking them to go perfect against some of the other SEC teams that like Oklahoma's a big enough name. Like if South Carolina beats them, that's going to make South Carolina season, especially given that Shane Beamer was a one-time Oklahoma assistant. Uh, speaking of teams that draw Alabama, how about a team that does not draw Alabama for the upcoming season? That is Ole Miss. One of the reasons why the Rebels win-loss record right now sitting at 9.5, very similar to Missouri in terms of somewhat favorable schedule. Uh, kind of the presence is sort of a top 10 level team this past season makes them a playoff contender for the upcoming year there as well. But nine and a half, is that too much of an expectation? Jeff early lean on the rebels, you go over or under nine and a half. I think that's over for me as well. I think they've got personnel. I think they've got the benefits of another schedule as well, where you're looking at Ole Miss again, I'll kind of echo what we've said earlier. Ole Miss could maybe go 10 and two, maybe miss the SEC championship game, and then also be one of those 10, 11, 12 type seeds 
for the college football playoff. You know they're going to move the ball. You know they're going to have great quarterback play. And even though they lose their their running back to Ohio State, I think Ohio Ole Miss is going to be able to move the ball, going to win a lot of these games, and maybe taking advantage of maybe no Nick Saban at Alabama or maybe the first year of Mike Elko at Texas A&M and Auburn. A lot of schools in the conference, I think they're going to benefit from just continuity. I think they go over. Uh, Mike, how about for you? Over under nine and a half for Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. Yeah, tough for tough for Ole Miss. You know, a lot has to go right for Ole Miss. I look at the schedule, and um, you know, I think they open with uh, Florida. Is that right? I'm trying to see here. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Furman. So Furman's a win. MTSU's a win. That's two at at Wake Forest. Is three. Georgia Southern's four. Kentucky at home, probably a win. Five at South Carolina. Six. Great start there at Arkansas. Seven's a win at Florida's eight. Mississippi State's nine. Uh, between Georgia, LSU, and Oklahoma, do they win two of those three games? I'm going to say no. I'm going to go with the under. Yeah, I'm under on Ole Miss here too. Just from the simple standpoint, this kind of reminds me a little bit of those Ole Miss teams from like say 2014, 2015, where 11 starters on offense, 11 starters on defense. Ole Miss could have pretty well matched up with anybody back then. They were New Year's Six type teams in that early playoff era, but when injuries occurred, they just didn't quite have the depth to maintain the same level of success. You think about a November game for Ole Miss hosting Georgia, I think that's a very different version of the Rebels in reality than one that appears to be on paper right now because of the, just sort of the natural attrition that occurs. Connor, I don't have a strong feeling about this necessarily. I think that Ole Miss did do some pretty impressive stuff a year ago, and they've clearly been one of the most aggressive teams this offseason. But I don't know that that's contributing much to the overall depth required to overcome some of the injuries that are just natural to occur. I think the safest bet here is uh, probably the under. Do you agree with that? Or would you be over or under on Ole Miss right now? B.A., you know I love you, and I have a lot of respect for you. I don't know if there was a team you were more consistently wrong on last fair. season than this. That's fair. Uh, so I'm going to take the over here in part because B.A. is taking the under. Uh, look, Jack Dart is a quarterback that's played a lot of snaps at USC and now at Ole Miss. I know they lose Quinshaw Judkins, but they you know, they bring in Logan Diggs from LSU. Ulysses Bentley, the best name in the SEC, is back for them. They're going to have a potent offense, and I just look at this schedule. To get to 10 wins – you know, Mike laid out a case, they're going to be favored in at least nine of those games. And, and then can you go one and two against Oklahoma, LSU, and Georgia? I think you can. And I think if you go 10 and two in an SEC slate, I think you're going to make the college football playoff. Now, I, it'll be interesting to sort of see uh, Ole Miss and Missouri, how those two teams are juxtaposed against each other. Uh, and because I think one of them could very well end up competing for a, a college football playoff spot while both don't have strong schedules. Uh, I think the fact that it, you're going to look at style points in that manner, and that's going to be a big indicator between, I think, those two teams. Uh, interesting stuff. And by the way, speaking of win-loss records, tomorrow when we come back on the show, we're going to take a look at the Georgia Bulldogs a little bit more closely and try to project the regular season record for Georgia. I will tell you this, my thought on Georgia's record now is a little bit different than it was even a couple of weeks ago. We'll talk more about that here tomorrow. It's been a really fun week thus far of our Dog Nation Roundtable. So we appreciate Mike Griffith, Jeff Sintel, Connor Riley being a part of that here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management. And boy, a great discussion there as a part of our Dog Nation Roundtable. I don't know if you're like me, you have a fun discussion like that. It would go better if you had a, a cocktail in your hand sometimes, a little beverage to, to make it all uh, even the more enjoyable, but not just any cocktail. 
How about a ready-to-drink cocktail? That's what I love about the Finish Long Drink. It's a fun category of beverage, the ready-to-drink cocktail. You like mixed drinks? Of course you do. Do you like mixed drinks? You don't have to mix yourself? Well, I would say that's probably an even better thing. And right now, the Finish Long Drink's got you covered on all of that. All of the varieties, the peach-flavored version, the peach state for a limited time, the Long Drink Cranberry, the Long Drink Strong, the Long Drink Zero, no carbs, no sugar, Long Drink Traditional, the Blue Can, the Grapefruit Flavor, the Gin Kick, all of those different varieties are all there for your consumption, your enjoyment. So it's time to go to thelongdrink.com. Put in your zip code. You can find out where you can pick some up today. You can also find out more about the story of this cool category of beverage, the ready-to-drink cocktail. that sort of looks like a beer because it comes in a can, but it's not. And you can also uh, kind of see the, more of the story of how you start off in Finland back in the 1950s when the summer games were in Helsinki for uh, the Finnish long drink. It kind of migrates its way to America and all of a sudden down to Georgia and now pretty much anywhere you want to go. A lot of celebrities kind of involved in the uh, ownership here to kind of help spread the good word about everything the Finnish long drink's about. So find out more, thelongdrink.com. We love having the Finnish long drink a part of what we're doing here on Dog Nation Daily. And we love having you on board for all of this there as well. Of course, today that's not live, but are you loving the, the, the Dog Nation roundtable? I, I love that. Now, you may say roundtable makes it sound more serious than knuckleheads like us probably deserve, but you know what? It's kind of all part of the pomp and the circumstance. You sort of dress it up. You sort of make it sound like something. We're going to come back and do this again tomorrow. And then on Friday, you sort of blink your eyes, and I'm back here live again, and we're catching up on all the news that we may have missed while we were away. We certainly appreciate you allowing me take a little time with my family and uh, for a lot of the folks here who help get the show on the air every day. That means not having to, to see my face for a few days, which I'm sure they're probably happy about there as well. Either way, though, great to uh, do all of that and great to still be able to deliver great content to you while we can't be here live. We certainly appreciate everyone allowing us to do that. We also appreciate the lousy, stinking gators. They have no round tables. They have no tables at all, for all I know. All they have is sadness because... When you look at the Gator Hater Updater, you realize it's been 1,200, two days since Florida has beaten Georgia. So even when we're not here, that number keeps on climbing, and we love that. We'll also see all of you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management.